0: Uh, it is uh, my privilege uh, to be able to proclaim God's Word to you uh, today. Uh, could you please open your Bibles to the book of Philemon? The book of Philemon. It is a small book. It is going to be right before the book of Hebrews um, and right after the, uh, Titus. It's a very small book here. And I would assume that most people uh, are not familiar or as familiar with this book. Um, that's probably because of its nature, Uh, Again, it's Paul's uh, shortest epistle that he writes. Uh, This letter was written and delivered at the same time as his letter to the Colossians and delivered there. Uh, The purpose of the letter, though, is to restore a relationship between a runaway slave named Onesimus uh, to his master Philemon, who was a believer in Colossae. Uh, This is a a very personal letter, uh, dealing with a very personal matter. Uh, There is no great theological discourse uh, here that you might assume to find here in Paul's uh, letter. Uh, And there's no commands to the church either, or to anyone besides Philemon. So the question that I ask, and the question that might arise to you, is why is this in our Bibles? Why did God inspire this book? And I was drawn to uh, this book uh, some years ago, mainly because of my love of apologetics. I I love to know how to defend my faith, to understand why I believe what I believe, and to go out and to show that, no, we're not crazy people here. We actually have a reason for the hope that is within us. Um, And for this book here directly relates with the issue of slavery. Uh, And that's a hot-button issue in America, Uh, our history, uh, uh, within our history. And sometimes, and oftentimes, skeptics will love that they get a chance to throw uh, the issue of slavery in the Bible in the face of particularly young believers or uh, with Christians who do not know their Bible as they ought to. So I originally thought this study of this book was going to be centered around a Christian's understanding of slavery and to defend the truth of God's Word. But... This book is not an apologetic book. Uh, it's not a defense of truth at all. Uh, and to make it, actually, I became convinced would be to rob the letter of its richness and its purpose. For this letter at its core is how to live out the truth of the gospel to its most radical conclusions. And that is why I believe this letter was inspired and preserved for our hearing today. I am now going to read uh, the whole letter in its entirety. It is only one chapter long, only 25 verses. So please follow along in your copy of the scriptures. Paul, a prisoner to Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord." For this perhaps is why he parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Praphis, my fellow prisoner, in Christ Jesus sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Articus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Please pray with me. Lord, I ask that as your word is proclaimed today, that you might completely remove me from it, that your truth might be proclaimed. Not any wisdom or rhetoric that you have given me, but that you, by your Spirit, might powerfully move here today. For without you, Lord, we can do nothing. So, Lord, please use uh, this vessel for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I wish to break down this letter by focusing on the three people here. And that will be my three points this evening. My first point will be Philemon, the faithful brother. My second point will be Onesimus, the restored sinner. And my third will be Paul, the Christ-like shepherd. So first, we will examine Philemon, the faithful brother in the church. Most likely, Paul has never met Philemon. Paul never, he did not plant the church in Colossae. He never went to Colossae. So there's no reason that he would have actually known Philemon. And we see in the text here when Paul comments, he says all that he has heard of Philemon. It was all probability that he heard of him through Epaphras, who is in prison with him right now, but also the one that planted the church in Colossae. It would also be safe to assume that Onesimus, who is with him in Rome, told Paul of him. Philemon, by all accounts, here, was a godly man. In verse 1, he is addressed as our beloved fellow worker, being a a worker of the gospel, and that is what he is known for. He also seems to be a wealthy man, wealthy enough to own slaves and wealthy enough to have a home that can host a church. We see in verse 2 that the church in your house, talking to Philemon, is addressed there. Paul is, above all, though grateful for Philemon because of his faith. If we look back in verse 4, he states that, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus, and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul is grateful as well as encouraged by Philemon, though he has never met him. And what encourages Paul about Philemon? It is his love and his faith in Jesus. Not only that, but his love for the people of God, the church. He's a churchman, he is at the center, seemingly, of all the operations of the church. And he is one whom uh, you talk to and you are refreshed by. And it's not his nice personality. It is that he is Christ-centered in the way that he lives. Philemon is also evangelistic. He, Paul prays that the, the sharing of his faith may become effective. He is a faithful and mature brother from all that Paul tells us here. And Paul is comforted by this truth that the hearts of the people in Colossae are refreshed because of Philemon's labor of love. You want to know what comforts and brings joy to pastors? Philemon's in their congregation. The pastor cannot talk to every single person in church on a Sunday morning. But to know that a godly man or a godly woman is conversing with the rest of the brothers and sisters or with a visitor is refreshing to them. Stirring them up in love and good works and pointing them to Christ. That brings joy and comfort to faithful pastors and we have faithful pastors here. And we are blessed by many Philemons in uh, here at lBC, I was when I was thinking of this, I was thinking of all the people that came uh, to my mind of who matched this description uh, and i 'm going to name some of you for today. first would be a uh, Shao is Shao here i don 't think Shao is here, but I am always encouraged by his overflow of gratitude because of the grace of God that uh, has been given to him. He is always overflowing with it. I think of Rocky Wolford and I also think of Rob Piero back there. That guy in the back if you don't know him make sure you talk to him because he will always have a Christ exalting word. When you ask about him he goes God is good. Christ is sovereign. He's been good to me today. That is their attitude. When I think of uh, the sisters I think of Saratoka. I think of Michelle Herman who are always encouraging and Christlike. And these are only a few names uh, that we have been blessed by. My last observation of Philemon is that he here is a humbler receiver of instruction. For Paul writes in verse 22 that he is confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul ends the letter with confidence in Philemon And he has confidence because of his character, and that he will listen to Paul's appeal. If any man be considered godly, he will be humble and listen to correction. For the Proverbs say that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And Philemon is not a fool. But Paul goes even further and states that he has confidence that Philemon will do even more than what is asked of him. He is being asked to receive Onesimus to reconcile with him. And he assumes that Philemon will do more than what is being required of him. That the task of not just merely, oh, it's okay, I'm glad you're here now. He will be received back in abundance. This will be done in abundance, this task. Going far and beyond what is expected of him. And this is true for Christians don't obey merely because they ought to. But the Christian obeys because he wants to. Obedience is the overflow of a changed heart in Christ. The godly man is zealous for good works. He loves as he has been loved, and he outdoes one another in showing honor. And Philemon is an example of this man who has been radically changed by his master, Jesus. But all this is impossible outside of faith. You want to be like Philemon? The temptation here, my temptation even preparing the sermon is go, oh, you're going to emulate this, do this, do this. No. But what is Paul encouraged by? His faith. You want to be like Philemon? Grow in faith. Grow in trust in belief in Christ and his word. Set your mind on things above and your life will be changed because of it. Next, we're going to turn to the example of Onesimus, the restored sinner. Onesimus was Philemon's doulos. That is the word in Greek here that is translated bondservant, if you have it in the ESV. Or in other translations, it will be translated as slave or servant. And this is due to the fact that the term can either mean slave or servant. It goes both ways. Uh, A bondservant here is a particular type of servant that would be bound. Uh, for a certain number of years to their master. In Roman times, for my research, it's usually about seven years that they would be bounded. And, and Onesimus here is either a bondservant or he is a slave. He is not a free man. And i also like to, before we move on, make a quick comment about how the Bible interacts with slavery. Uh, to summarize, and if you want to talk to me more about this afterwards, the Bible does not endorse slavery, but merely recognizes it as a reality in a fallen world. It does not call for the radical overthrow of the institution, as maybe we would hope for, uh, but it calls for rights and the recognition of dignity and the image of God within slaves. And if you do that, that actually undermines the whole institution, if you think about it. Um, And we see that truth clearly in this letter as well. And again, if you want to talk more about that, I'll be more than happy to talk to you about it. And Onesimus was a slave. But by all accounts of this letter, he was not a useful slave. Uh, For in verse 11, Paul makes a play on words with his name, for Onesimus in Greek means useful. Uh, But in verse 11, uh, Paul says that Onesimus was useless. He was not helpful at all. Uh, And being a slave does not give you an excuse to be a lazy worker either. Uh, In Colossians, Paul writes that bondservants are to obey in everything those uh, who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service or as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fear in the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord and not for men, knowing that your Lord will receive the inheritance of your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. So whatever situation you are in, uh, uh, it, excuse me, whatever situation you are in, you are, you are to work hard. That's what all of us are called to do. Because you, when you work, you don't ultimately work for your boss, but you work for God ultimately. So if you have a terrible boss or a miserable job, as long as you are there, Work hard in the fear of the Lord, for your heavenly master will reward you, and any wrong that is done to you will not be overlooked. God is judge, and he is a good and just judge. But Onesimus was not a hard worker. In fact, he ran away. From what Paul says uh, of the debt that Onesimus owes, it would be actually safe to assume that when he ran away, he stole from Philemon. And it's probably a way to uh, pay for the journey uh, to Rome he needed more than uh, his, uh, his non-existent wages so he stole from the house of Philemon to run away and it seems here from this that he was not a Christian when he ran away but when he was originally in Colossae Onesimus was a rebel he was one that rebelled against his earthly master in running away And he rebelled against his heavenly master in his sin when he rejected his status in life where God had placed him and sought to change it by his own wisdom. And we do not know all the details of Onesimus' flight, his motives, his plans, but we do know that somehow he ends up in Rome. And when he's in Rome, he somehow meets Paul, who is under house arrest there. And we know this somehow is not a coincidence, but the work of God. Again, Onesimus is not a believer yet. I I doubt he was seeking out Paul. But at some point on the journey, something radical happens in his life. At some point, the Lord saves him. He goes from darkness into light. He goes from runaway prodigal son to the arms of his beloved father. And through his conversion, Onesimus comes under the wings of Paul. In verse 10, Paul refers to Onesimus as his child whose father I became in my imprisonment. And Paul here then testifies uh, in this letter to God's work in the life of Onesimus. Starting in verse 11. Again, he says that he, being Onesimus, was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me, and I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart, and I would be glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. So Onesimus was useless, but now he's useful. Now he bears the namesake, it bears truth. And Paul testifies that he has been a great help to him while in prison. No longer what he was, uh, but so great of a help to Paul that he states that he wished that he could actually stay here in Rome because he's gonna miss him He's going to miss his service to him. But Paul doesn't keep him. Instead, he sends him to Colossae with his letter to the Colossians and a fellow brother, Tychus. In this letter, he says the the congregation uh, knows, in this letter, excuse me, in that letter, he says the congregation to let them know about the change in Onesimus. For in the end of Colossians, he says of Onesimus that he is our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, and they will tell of everything that has taken place here. Onesimus, under the instruction of Paul, returns to where he ran away. Very much again like the prodigal son, he is returning home as a changed man. This must have been a shock for the people in Colossae to have him return. If Philemon was involved in the church before Onesimus ran off, they would have known him. Onesimus likely would have served members of the church as uh, Philemon's bondservant, but now. He is returning not merely as a bondservant, but as a beloved brother in the Lord. And let's not think this return is a small thing. First, it was legally dangerous, for punishment for runaway slaves or bondservants was death. I personally doubt that Philemon would pursue such a sentence, but that is still there. And by returning, Onesimus must also face the people that he harmed and sinned against the people that he stole from, that, you know, if everyone's ever had something stolen, that, that, that feeling of a betrayal or why has this happened, there's something wrong, you know that conscience that it bears. And our natural response to the recognition of our sin uh, against others, when we see that, oh, I, I shouldn't have said that, oh, I shouldn't have done that, I really should, be sorry for myself, often our response is to be sorry for ourselves. It's to minimize, it's to suppress, it's to ignore, it's to hold on to our pride. It's not that bad, or I really don't want to open that can of worms, so I'm not, I'm not going to bring it up again. I'm just going to let it boil over, pass, hope it never gets brought up again. I'm going to stay here in Rome. I can't change the past anyway. I'm sorry I did that. For the Christian, we know when that feeling comes that that ought not to be. For our master says this in Matthew, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be first reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. We as Christians are to reconcile ourselves to those we have wronged and most especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. For reconciliation is the business of God who reconciles us to himself through Christ. Onusma's act of seeking reconciliation is more radical than the prodigal son, if we look at that as kind of our prime example as Christians we love to look at. For the prodigal son goes to his father to ask for reconciliation, ask for forgiveness. And when he goes, he plans to, uh, uh, to ask his father to take him back merely as a servant, to humble himself. But Omesmus is not a son to Philemon. He's a slave. He can't volunteer anything to him. He can't reduce himself, oh, I'll do this. He's at the lowest rung. He can't bother with him. He is fully at the mercy of Philemon. And Omesmus goes because it's what is right. That is a testimony of faith. Lastly, we are going to look at the example of Paul and the one that really struck me as I studied this test, for he is the Christ-like shepherd. Paul, as an apostle and the minister of the gospel, is in the business, again, of reconciliation because he's in God's business. We see Paul's pastoral side clearly in this letter. His love and respect for both Philemon and Onesimus is overflowing throughout it. But Paul is also very bold in this letter, bold enough to confront a brother about a situation that is difficult and must be dealt with. He, as a pastor, takes the initiative to restore a broken relationship among the people of God. To accomplish this, he doesn't want to appeal to his own authority as an apostle. Instead, he makes a request to be filled for the sake of love. Verse 14, he says that, I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. As a pastor, his main job is appealing to his flock, exhorting, urging, not compelling by means of authority. The Christian life is not one of outward behavior modification, but is heart change. The pastor wants those in his church to do good, not because they have to, but again, because they want to. Same idea I said before, because they see it as good, and that is the pastor's goal, to shift their eyes towards that. And again, this is not man's natural way of doing things. As a teacher, uh, if my students aren't listening to me, I am far quicker to use means of compulsion rather than doing what rather than do what they ought to do on their own accord. I'm much more quicker to go, okay, you're getting detention. Okay, you're getting points off. That is my nature, and I see it, and I hate it. That is my nature. And I do not have kids, uh, but I would assume the same could be said for parents. Uh, But Paul here, he prefers, as God prefers, that obedience comes from the heart, not the rod. And at the same time, as a pastor... Paul is bold enough to command and enforce what is required if necessary. But if Paul, if Philemon excuse me, is not willing to reconcile, forgive, and take Onesimus back into his home, he would command him under the authority of Christ to do so. You are to forgive as you have been forgiving. A good shepherd will use his rod when the people's hearts are too prideful or stubborn to obey God. We see Paul use this in Galatians and 1 Corinthians when he calls church discipline if necessary. But the pastor, first and foremost, is to be long-suffering in using such means, not quick or rash, hoping rather for a willing and gladful submission and repentance. The most important observation uh, from Paul here, though, is his selflessness and his Christ-likeness as a mediator for Onesimus. Starting in verse 17, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your own of me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul here is demonstrating to Philemon and to us, if we believe the gospel, we ought to apply it in our lives and our interactions with others. Paul demands that he be substituted for Onesimus. Treat Onesimus as you would treat me. Treat him as a partner in the ministry of the gospel, as an honored guest. And if he owes you any money, any debt, for the things that he stole from you when he ran away, I will pay that debt. I don't care if I'm in prison. I will take that. Treat him with any honor I deserve and give me his charges. That is a man who understands the grace that has been given to him. For Paul was a blasphemer, a murderer, a persecutor of the church who deserves no honor, no acceptance before God. He deserves hell and judgment. But instead, he will be one of the most honored men at the end of history. Why? Because he's so great, he pulled himself by his bootstraps? Because Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, died in his place on Calvary, taking the debt of Paul and every believer that calls upon his name. Every believer here, you know you deserve judgment, but you receive everlasting life instead. Instead of bearing the awful load of your lying, your pride, your thievery, your drunkenness, your sexual immorality, your idolatry, your narcissistic selfishness, your envy and covetousness, your sinful rage, your backstabbing and gossip, and any other ungodly thing that that ought to be tied to you like a pair of cinder blocks and thrown down into the pit, you don't receive that. You receive a reward a crown, and a place of honor that is due to the only perfect son of God. And we pray, and I pray, that we feel the weight of this reality, that we haven't minimized it. Let us remember what our position in life ought to be in comparison to what God has made it to be. And Paul understood the grace that he had received, So he gives of himself for Philemon. Thus we often do the same. The same grace that was given to Paul has been given to us. He wasn't given some supernatural thing that is outside of you. If you're a believer, the same grace has been given to you. He's no different from us. The same blood washed him, washes you. And remember that when our minds are renewed by the truth, we will overflow with love and grace towards others. I know the reason that I don't share this grace, whether that be with my mother, whether that be with my students, or wherever else I run into, is because I forget. I am entitled often. I forget what once I once was, that uh, I forget that I was once like those who are hard to love. I forget that I'm far more like them than I like to admit. And that without the grace of God, I would be worse than them. So remember what Christ has done for you. So in return, you may be Christ's means of grace to someone else. The last thing I'd like to encourage you in is this truth, that the most radical reconciliation between two people is possible because of the gospel. That the gospel of our Lord has the power to mend the most extreme estrangements. A reminder here that the two that are being reconciled in Philemon and Onesimus, they're not just friends. This is a slave and his master, and they're being called to make up. That That is a radical thing. Try doing that in the south in the 1800s. Not gonna be easy, but Paul, that is what he commands. And how are they to be reconciled? On what grounds are they to be reconciled, be brought together to? Verse 15, for this perhaps is why he parted from you for a while, that he might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. The grounds of their reconciliation is their common salvation. They both know the grace that has been given to them. They know Christ. And in Christ, we have equality uh, in respect and dignity before God. Whatever your earthly relationship may be, if you are in Christ, that relationship is secondary. Me and Steve are equals. Not, I, that doesn't mean I can go and tell them what I think the school should do to, tomorrow or who to hire and whatnot. <laughs> but before God... We are on the same ground. There is no partiality between me and Steve, him as an elder, him as my boss, whatever it might be. We are equals before God. For in Galatians, Paul writes that there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, and there is no male or female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. Onesimus is not just a slave to Philemon, he's far more than that. He is a brother in the Lord. Salvation is forever, and the bond between believers is forever. The church member that annoys you most in this congregation, you will spend eternity with. Remember that. And you have far more in common with that person than the person you can have small talk with that is not a believer at work. That person you will not spend eternity with unless by the grace of God they come to him. So that most annoying person, think of that person. They are to be beloved in your eyes because they are beloved in God's. And if Christ shed his blood for you and forgave you, you did not deserve it. We are to follow the example of Christ to our brothers and sisters. And Paul implies here the, the reason that Onesimus fled was the hand of God so that they might have this deeper bond. Right? He did this awful evil thing. This was God's plan. Right? What Onesmus meant for evil, God meant for good. I hope that comforts you, as it did me uh, about when you think of some maybe broken or estranged relationships that you have, particularly with uh, fellow believers, if you know any, either at this church or another church. But there's hope that this hardship is not out of God's plan or purpose, and by God's grace it can be mended. And the book of Philemon here is a great example for us to marvel and hope in. And in reconciliation, it will require humility on all parts. For Onesimus had to humbly go back to Colossae. Philemon had to humbly receive Onesimus back. And Paul had to humbly give of himself financially and take those bold steps forward for reconciliation. Perhaps uh, that may be you in humility can go forward and start that reconciliation you need to today. For in Christ, for if Christ can reconcile God and sinful man, how much more can he do so in your relationships? Amen? All right, let's thank the Lord. Lord, thank you for this opportunity today. Lord, I pray that uh, your spirit and your word might be The means for us, the only means of radical change in our lives. Lord, let us be humble. Let us submit to your word. And let us glory in the glorious gospel of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.